You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 11. Um, I'm John and uh, I'm, it's the first of our guest specials this season and we have a former Rangers, Hearts, Rangers, Hearts and Scotland International, Dave McPherson. Dave, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Uh, I'm just glad that lockdowns look, looks like it's over with and um, we can start getting back to some sort of normality. Yeah, definitely. Of course, as we're recording this week, that was when Nicola Sturgeon put out the announcement that um, most restrictions are pretty much going. Um, the big news obviously being about the crowds. Um, although you still have to apply, it's looking likely that most councils will accept more, given the fact that Rangers had 23,000, for example, against Real Madrid, and uh, sorry, against Livingston. Um, so they're not exactly going to say you can't have that for the Celtic game in a few weeks, are they? No, I think it's just going to be more positive news, hopefully, and um, get back to some sort of normality. As I said, the crowds are going to increase and that's going to help um, the sort of general state of the game. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's actually quite remarkable that we've had 42 clubs still here, um, and plus some of those in the, um, the Lowland League, etc., because leagues were cancelled at that level and, uh, and things like that. But the 42 clubs who are still running... Increased costs when we had with some testing, but having no fans coming in. And there was obviously buses as well. I think someone had to put on like two or three buses as well. Increased costs, and yet somehow they still managed to keep going. I think that's commendable, to be honest. It's remarkable, and I'm a little bit surprised, and I'm not sure that uh, in six months' time or a year's time, that's going to be the, the, the same case. I think it's going to have some sort of impact further down the line. Hopefully not, but I think it will do. You know, the, the amount of money the government's paid out in furlough and different aspects of support and different businesses, then um, that money's going to have to be paid back at some point. Yeah, I know that um, some of the grants that the, the Scottish government gave like, from um, the low league clubs um, was just it was a grant. And the Scottish Premier League clubs were obviously, um, they, they were um, fixed term loans. But as you say, the furlough scheme's going to have to um, get paid back at some point. You just got to hope that. Clubs can survive, so we'll wait and see, hopefully. Um, I hope so, fingers crossed. Exactly. Um, and in terms of yourself, I mean, um, for those who don't know what you're up to now, I understand you um, run a company called Global Sports Recruitment. Just tell us a bit about that company. Yeah, uh, we basically um, recruit student athletes for American colleges um, on scholarships. So... Um, multiple sports could be soccer, could be rugby, uh, field hockey, swimming, athletics, um, any sports that the Americans offer scholarships for. So we recruit student athletes from all over the world and try and get them scholarships to the USA, providing a they're talented enough and b they've got this academic background that the colleges will want them. Yeah, and what sort of um, things do people have to do to get those scholarships other than also be top of their field? It's not necessarily top of their field. Um, you know, if you take football, for example, or soccer, as they call it over there, then there's different levels in the USA. You can start at a lower level and still go over and get a scholarship for four years. Um, 
ideally you want to be a top level player and top academic player, then you've all got a full scholarship to go to the USA. The majority of our clients will be sort of medium to lower, uh, which means they'll have to pay some sort of money towards their scholarship. But they still will get um, a good scholarship amount of money um, awarded towards them. Yeah, fantastic. Um, how's, the, how's the pandemic been affecting um, your work? I mean, I know you've also been saying beforehand that you do like 50 Zoom calls a week, um, but in terms of yeah. how this works, because obviously nobody's really been able to get over as much because of the quarantine restrictions, you know, how have you managed to work it out? Um, well, in terms of our clients going over to America, it's not been impacted at all. They're still, the Americans are still um, taking players over there or athletes over there, so that that's not a problem. Um, in regards to actually assessing clients, we've been trying to do everything online, um, which has worked really well, and that's why it's more Zoom interviews rather than face-to-face interviews. Uh, the assessment, you know, actually assessing a client regarding their sport, we've just tweaked that a little bit. We're doing more online, asking them to send videos over to us, and obviously my background in football is quite extensive, so it doesn't take you that long to work out where a particular client is in regards to the sporting um, eligibility. And how much do you enjoy that rather than going down like the, con- the so-called conventional routes of like coaching and punditry like um, many players have? I know you did um, a wee bit of coaching, but yeah. some compared? Well, that, that, you, you do a bit of coaching in regards to this, but I really enjoy it. I love it because I was fortunate enough to join Rangers when I was 16. I, I signed this form when I was 14 um, from school. And I never went down the academic route. So I realised the importance of, you know, having something academic behind you. Because nowadays, the chances of actually making it the first team are pretty remote. The academies will take on thousands of players and probably 1% will get an opportunity to play in the first team. So there's that 99% that don't have that opportunity and will just be deflected elsewhere. So this is an opportunity for potential athletes to go over to America, spend four years, have a fantastic opportunity, get a degree, but still get the opportunity to turn professional. It doesn't stop you from doing that. So it, it's the educational side of things is important to me as well. Yeah, good stuff. And in terms of after the scholarships, as you say, not everyone's going to make it to like being a top football, top basketball player or um, a, a top athlete. There's going to obviously be a drop-off. How do you guys... Like, you know, assess to try and keep them active and involved within their sport, even if they're not quite getting to what they were. Almost like when you know players at Rangers would have been like released when they were um, eighteen. Sorry, I missed the first part of that, John. Yeah, sorry, um, it came up with a dodgy internet connection. My apologies. Um, all I was asking there, Dave, was um, no. In terms, not everyone, as you as you know from your experience as a footballer, not everyone um, in the scholarship is going to become a a top footballer or a top basketball no. player, etc. Um, but after the four years, there's obviously going to be that drop off. How do you keep um, people involved in terms of, um, you know, um, you know, still participating in the sport even if they're not going to reach that top level they aspire to? No, yeah, I agreed. I think the majority of people going over to the USA on a sports scholarship won't make it to a professional level. You know, so that that's not the reason they're going there. Um, they will have an opportunity to do that no matter what sport they do. But you're opening doors, you know. For example, I'm dealing with coaches in the USA 
who I've got a very little experience regarding co-football, but they went over to America and doing a, a, on a scholarship and doing coaching, and they're earning a million dollars a year. So it's more a, a career thing. You know, you're, you're, you're open, you're expanding your horizons and your opportunities in regard to job opportunities. And if, if you come back to the UK or Europe or Australia or whatever it is, you've got that in your CV to say, oh, well, I, I was 18, I took the responsibility, I left home, over to America, I've got this in my CV now when I come back. You know, potential employers are going to look at that and say, well, you're the one I'd rather go for than somebody that stayed at home did not, nothing. So there, there, there's lots of opportunities by going to America, uh, not just for the experience alone. You're going to have a fantastic time, really enjoy it, meet friends for life from all over the world, but it's a career opportunity. You'll obviously have went over a few times with your job. Um, so what's, what's your um, favourite places in America and why? Well, about like everybody in Scotland, it's always somewhere warm. <laughs> like California, uh, Florida, um, anywhere further south. But um, yeah, I've been at a number of places. The facilities are, some of the facilities are second to none. They would equal anywhere in the UK, the Premiership in, uh, down south, you know, regarding facilities, stadium, um, gymnasiums and whatever. You know, the they're, they're fantastic facilities. The Division One clubs uh, in the USA um, universities are fantastic. You know, get, it's, it's billions of dollars to spend a year on the facilities, so you're going to a top-level environment. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, there's still a lot of people who have this perception that you know the MLS um, is a bit of a retirement home almost, but um, yeah. and that. You know, people getting over it. Like Ryan Gold's just went over to, well, I know it's Vancouver, which is in Canada, but he's still playing MLS. Um, there's people saying, oh, he's going to scupper his Scotland chances um, by going there, but it shouldn't really be like that because, you know, you can actually argue that the MLS is a higher level than um, the Scottish Premiership or equal to or higher. I mean, and possibly, I mean, a lot of Scottish players go to the Scottish Championship. MLS is probably on a level with that. Yeah, I, I, I agreed. I mean, it's all relative to where you are playing at that particular time, moment in time. You know, divisions like Scottish football, to me, is not the same as what it was back in the day when I played. And that's not because the, when I played, it was, you know, brilliant. But I'm thinking about the teams that I played for, the players I played with, the players I played against. It's just not the same. You know, I, I don't think it's as good now. Um, but, you know, it's all relative. You, you, you have to still maintain your standards uh, and prove to people. When I moved to Australia in 1999, I was asked, what's, what's the level like? I said, well, I still had to go out there and prove I was a good player to play at that level. You know, you're coming from a really top level, um, winning everything in the major game in, the U- in, in Scotland and playing for your country. You still have to prove yourself. But, you know, if you've got the experience, you can do that and, and you learn from it. You make a you make a good point. It's something I was going to t- um, touch on when we talk about the year ninety two stuff. That the year ninety two squad that we had out of the twenty players, fifteen of them were based in Scotland, and it wasn't just all Rangers. You know, there was a good um, Rangers contingent. There was a good couple from your club at that time, Hearts. Dundee United had four players in that squad, and I think that just shows again that Scottish football was a a decent level at that point that they still were able to fill, field a team capable of competing with the likes of Germany and Holland at that point. Absolutely. I, I would also state that we should have had more Rangers players there. 
because <laughs> Rangers were particularly, you know, they were really, you know, the peak. You know, we won the treble in 92-93, also um, 10 games unbeaten in the Champions League. So if, you, if your players are competing at that level, Scottish players, then you, you want to pick the best players for your Scottish team. And we should have had more Sc- uh, Rangers players in the Scottish team at that point. But to take a point on board, yes, we are competing at a really high level. There was only eight teams qualified for the Euros in 92. You know, so when the tournament was over, Scotland were probably fifth best team in Europe. Whereas if you look at where they are now, it's nowhere near that. Nowhere near that, where they finished. So that, that's a reflection of where, where we were then and where we are now. Yeah, definitely. And it obviously took us a while to even get to where we are now. Um, but that's a story of another day. So um, we'll come on exactly. to your earlier football memories before you started um, playing. Because I know you obviously went to Rangers from Gatacosta. What was your t- type of earliest football memories? And were Rangers your boyhood team growing up? Absolutely. Um, I was born in Brockman Pollock, um, which is not far from Ibrox. Crookston Castle School. Um, myself and Billy Davis, ex-Rangers player, went to school together. We actually played for a team called Pollock United. And my centre-half partner was actually Tommy Sheridan. Who, you know, probably a lot of Rangers fans will love. Um, he went to Lures Academy, I think it was. Um, so we, we were set to have partnerships, uh, partners throughout the years do football. So when I joined Rangers, I was still at Pollock, but I got asked to go and play for Garnt Kosh for six months or a year uh, when I just joined, just to sort of, you know, lead you into the, the sort of Rangers environment. I ended up playing with Pat Nevin. Tommy McQueen, who were like, well, obviously, Pat Nevin, everybody knows Tommy McQueen was a good player to the Clyde. Okay, um, Aberdeen, so. Aberdeen, yeah. So, um, yeah, I had a, 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 I think, a very good football upbringing. It was tough. It was tough. Um, but, you know, once I joined Rangers from school when I was 14, that's all I wanted to be was a, a professional player with Rangers. Yeah, and then you get you get that move um, signed from Gatcross, we say. Um, was it 1980? Um, I'm scoring on wiki stats. It was like 1982, I think you, you joined. Um, or was that your, when you made your first team debut? No, in 1982, I made my first team debut. Um, but I joined Rangers in 1980 as a pro player. And start, I, I get into the reserves at uh, 17. So you're sort of farmed out. I was farmed out to Gatcross right. uh, at 16. Then I come back, I was playing reserve matches at 17 for Rangers. And you're playing with players like, I was 17, Alec Miller, Tom Forsyth, you know, like heroes of mine back in the day, you know, which was a fantastic experience. Yeah, and, and in those days, um, obviously the, the earlier 80s, um, Rangers were also going through a bit of a um, sticky time because uh, Celtic, Aberdeen and Dundee were teams that were in the league. Rangers were like fourth and fifth in the league at times. Um, I mean, how difficult... Um, I mean, for yourself, obviously, you're, you're able to get yourself in the first team and keep yourself in there for a period. But um, in terms of um, that that time and the not getting the crowds that you did, you know, how tough was it? Uh, it, it was very tough. Um Okay. Um, well, John Greg signed me. Uh, then things weren't going that, that well because he was manager of a successful team. 
and there was a t- transitional period where players were, you know, the players that he played with, he had to move on. Uh, then Jock Wallace came in, and um, I was sort of in the first team. There's lots of players coming and going, but I managed to keep my place in the team. But it was everything was very much uncertain at that point and difficult. Um, but for me, as a young player, it was fantastic. You know, I just wanted to play for Rangers in the first team and do well. Yeah, and well, you did well win for game particular. See, four goals against Valletta, which I think you were the first Rangers player to score four goals in a single European tie. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who the caliber opposition is. You've got that stat. That's a that's a great achievement. That scoring four goals. Yeah, uh, that was unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't know how it happened, but that I think it was one header, one left foot, one right foot, uh, and I think I chipped the goalkeeper from thirty yards at some point. I don't know. I, I don't know why it happened, but it did. But I never even got to keep the ball, which is bizarre, you know. Um, but yeah, that was that was a, a fantastic experience. Uh, there's not many centre-backs that have done that in their career. Yeah, I don't know many centre-backs that have even scored a hat-trick. I remember Andy Constein, because um, I'm an Aberdeen supporter, scoring a hat-trick mm-hmm. a couple of years ago against Dundee, but um, to score four in a game and a perfect hat-trick, it's just a shame you don't have that that, that memento. I know, I know. I've actually got the programme. Uh, a Rangers fan last year, um, I got the David Lloyd in Edinburgh, and he gave me the programme um, from that game. Excellent. That's a great memento to have. Um, and then, and I mean, you still, although it was a difficult period in terms of the league, you still managed to get um, some silverware. This also before Sunnis comes in. Um, a couple of league cups. The first one beating Celtic 3 2, Alan McCoy's hatch at that game. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's a good way for you to win your first trophy, yeah? Absolutely. Uh, and I actually got mine in a match, not Ali. Really? Who did that? So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I God knows. And I actually played midfield as well, um, which yeah. is a bit bizarre. I'd never played midfield before in my life. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, Rangers, <clears throat> I mean, play for Rangers or Celtic, you're always expected to win things. That, that's a challenge of being there. But with this sort of transition, the players coming in, coming out, uh, there was always a bit of inconsistency. But when you get to a cup final, you just don't know who's going to win. It's didn't the team wants it more than the day or get, gets a little bit of luck. And, you know, Ali was always, you know, he was, if, you, if the ball falls in the box, you would always expect Ali to score a goal or three. Yeah, he was certainly a man for no firm game. And, well, League Cup in particular had a, um, he had a bit of a notion for because I think he it was a good few winners medals he had out of that competition. Um, Ali, yeah, didn't he? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And then you beat Dundee United the next season in the same competition. Oh, it was a bit bizarre because when you played Celtic, it was played in March, but then they changed it to the winter um, for the yeah. following season. So you actually won two two league cups within six months or seven months. Yeah, it was bizarre. You know, that's typical SFA or SPL or whatever. Um, they tend to make these rules up as they go along. And yeah, but good for me because it was like to make up winners' medals in a short space of time. Yeah. How frustrating then was it that you, you weren't getting close to win the league? As I say, I mean, Aberdeen won two in a row, uh, won, won, th- won three titles in the early 80s, Celtic won a couple, Dundee United won one. And even Hearts got closer than you in 86, famously. Um, you know, yeah. That must have been... In fact, see that 85-86 season before Sunnis came in? 
You only um, beat Dundee to UEFA Cup place on goal difference. Can you yeah. imagine that now? <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I just think when you go through that sort of transition, uh, not just the, the team level, but also board level, there was different things happening. Um, it, it takes time, you know. You, nobody's got a, a God-given right to win. You know, it takes hard work, dedication, and um, stability behind the scenes to make a successful team. And at that point, everything was a little bit up in the air. But for me, looking back, it was a fantastic time because I was a Rangers fan. I made it into the first team. Jock Wallace took us on a world tour to Australia. We were away for like three and a half weeks. Um, then he took us to Iraq and Jordan um, during the season. It was like, it, it was non-stop. I mean, the things that were happening as a young person were incredible, you know. I'd never left home or been abroad when I was up until 16. And then you joined Rangers and there's like multiple things happening that just changed your life forever. Yeah, definitely. And then something that changed the course of Rangers for a long time was obviously the rival game. So then all of a sudden... Um, he took full advantage of the English market, etc. I know you didn't play the League Cup win over Celtic the following season, but um, winning winning that title um, up at Pitodry, um just describe that feeling, that relief um, yeah. and delight as much well, as anything. Getting back to the League Cup, the reason I was suspended, uh, I didn't win the League, well, didn't take part in the League Cup, is because I was suspended. That's and right. I was down to the fact that Graham Souness um, had that nice little tackle on McCluskey against Hibs in I think, the first game of the season. So every player that get booked during that match subsequently get given another yellow card, which meant, you know, I was over the points. So I couldn't play in the League Cup final, so I was suspended. So I blame Graham Smith for that, for me not playing in the Cup final. Uh, but to actually, you know, win the league in Aberdeen was fantastic. You know, it was a great experience. Um, and if I forget all the fans running on the pitch and, you know, I, I think I came off the pitch half naked. I just left with my shorts on. Uh, no boots, no top on. And that was about it. But what a great um, celebration we had going back down the road to Glasgow. Yeah, it's just as well they left your pants on. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it wouldn't have been a pretty sight, John. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I know. Um, but yeah, um, but at the end of that, unfortunately for you, at the end of that season, um, you end up having to leave because more players were coming in. But you got yourself a good move to Hearts. Um, just let's describe what um, what attracted you to Hearts in the first place. <coughs> well, what happened was I was away in holiday with Terry Butcher and Chris Woods and um, Marbella. Then I came back. I got a phone call from Graham Soonest to say that um, Hearts had put an offer in to buy me. And Graham thought, I, he, he accepted the offer. He thought that in my interest to go. So I had to think about it pretty seriously in a short space of time. I thought, well, I could stay at Rangers in a boyhood club that I love and but be with a manager that wants to bring in other players to replace me. No, do I want that or do I want to go to a club that the manager wants to buy me? And it's Alec McDonald and Sandy Jarden, two ex-Rangers players. So I... I looked upon it as a step to the side, not a step back, not a step forward, but a step to the side. And I thought, if I go there, I'm still young. I believe in my own ability, then things will, will work out. Um, 
and that's the decision I made. Uh, and I certainly no regrets regarding that. Yeah, definitely. Just before I go back on the hard stuff, um, forgot to mention. Um, sadly, uh, Ali Dawson, former Rangers captain, passed away last week. Just um, summarise um, what it was like to um, be in his company and uh, be a teammate of yeah. him. Uh, it was his funeral today. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't attend uh, due to COVID and numbers. I didn't want to go there. And he's got a big family. Um, Ali was a fantastic friend of mine. You know, like as a young player, he brought in to the Rangers first team. Um, when I was in the first team, you know, back in the day, any Saturday night, I would spend with Ali and Robert Pritz. Um, Whenever we could get a night out, and he, he was like, he was like a fantastic mentor. You know, he was like level-headed. You know, he, he wasn't a, a loud person, very level-headed. And I, I remember him setting up, setting up a, a blind date one night. <laughs> Young boy from Pollock who could hardly talk to any sort of females at all. Ali set me up on my first blind date. Um, so it, it was a night out. It was a bit of a laugh. Uh, but a fantastic player and um, a friend of mine and sorely missed, definitely. Great guy. Yeah, it was sad to um, to hear about his passing. So uh, our thoughts go out to Ali Dawson's uh, family this time. Um, moving on to, to Hearts, obviously. Um, what uh, Moved with Alex and the late Sandy Jardin. Just, uh, what was, I know Sandy was only there for a couple of years before he ended up moving on, but what was it like working with him? It was great. Um, I mean, they had the Rangers mentality, the winning mentality. Um, they didn't have the facilities that Rangers had. It was very much, you know, a little bit of a step back. But they had the ambition. They had a great support um, at Hearts. That if you, you knew if you did well, then that support was behind you. And you could build a certain amount of momentum and you know, certainly achieve something. Um, certainly underachieved over the years. You know, even when I was there, we should have won things. Um, uh, we just sort of felt so the last hurdle. Um, but Alex and Sandy were fantastic. You know, great role models from more games than what they will. Um, and in that first season at Hearts, um, we finished above Rangers. Yeah, you weren't far off the title. Yeah. Um, that was Celtic's uh, centenary double year, wasn't it? And they put you out in the semi final Scottish Cup as well. So it could have been a double to you had things went your way. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we'd, you know, players who could believe in themselves at that point, um, a little bit of a break here or there, then we'd have been a lot more successful. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, but, one of the Twitter questions we've got is um, from Scott, also known as Amoruso Let's It Run on Twitter. Um, he runs a, um, a good YouTube account featuring old hearts clubs and he asks, um, on a scale of Ralston to Cafu, just how good was it a goal at New Douglas Park? This is 889. I watched this goal earlier. Oh, the goal I scored? Yes. You uh, played a 1-2, you went a bit of a miser and played a 1-2 and then finished it. Uh, I, I mean, I would have gone about this only by chance. I had somebody sent it to me, the link, two weeks ago. Um, oh, that's what you've up there. That's a 10 out of 10 goal, that. <laughs> that that's from, that's from centre-back. 
that's the centre-back. So, yeah, that was a, that was a left foot as well. Exactly. See, it's, I mean, that's the thing I've noticed about your playing style. Um, I mean, do, do you know, I hate, I absolutely hate the phrase, Great touch for a big guy, a great run um, for a big guy. Uh-huh. You know, at the end of the day, as long as uh, you know you're a professional footballer, you should be able to do some of these things. But Absolutely. one thing that you were good that you were good at was bringing the ball to defence, and you had a wee run in you. Like we'll maybe talk about later when um, in a cup game against Rangers, he did something similar. Um, but it's set yeah. up by Kevin Thomas. Uh, yeah, I was more of a modern day centre back as an earlier, mm-hmm. you know, early player. I, I watched Dutch football. I actually tried to sign me when I was sixteen. Um, because he's seen me as a sort of modern day centre back who could pass the ball from the back, dribble from the back, create attacks from the back. And that's what Dutch football was all about. It's all about total football, it's all about playing football. So I modelled myself on being that type of player that could control the ball, pass it, not just be a sort of guy that just defends and knocks the ball at the park. Um, no disrespect to any of the sort of defenders that went before me, but we're moving on a generation now, so yeah. I was always um, modified myself on that. And when I was growing up at Rangers, I watched Derek Johnston training. And Derek Johnston was an unbelievable finisher. Mm-hmm. He would come back in the afternoon and um, he'd hit crosses into the box. He's finishing with his foot, left, right, headers. It was phenomenal. You know, it was, he would just hit the target all the time. So you learn from these players. And I would do the same. I would be like, I'm a centre-back, but I don't care. I'm going to be in the box for attacking set-pieces. Set I need to know how to do that. I'd never scored that many goals when I was younger, but I worked at it. And it's amazing how it pays off. Hard work pays off. Um, and nobody knows that. You know, Nobody sees what you do during the week when you play on a Saturday, but it pays off. Yeah, definitely. And uh, with regards to the... Um the, obviously the Edinburgh Derby because well everyone knows about the old firm Derby the Edinburgh Derby how does that compare um, I know it's not maybe as, at the same scale as the Celtic Rangers game but Edinburgh Derby is still a special feeling isn't it it's great you know it's a derby so any derby match you play in you want to win you know it's, it, it's the weekend ruined or made for either support um, you, there's nothing can compare with the old firm Derby Nowhere in the world, you know, that, that that's unique, I think. Um, but the Hibs Hearts, Hearts Hibs Derby is, is as close as it can get. You know, it's fantastic. You, you put your green and white against your maroon and, you know, it, it makes your weekend. And fortunately, when I was playing at Hearts, we, we managed to win the majority. We didn't lose many. Yeah, there was one particular powder keg of a um, Edinburgh Derby in your time that I, I recall. It was one of the first ones I recall growing up. It was, um, it was, it was at the same time Wallace Mercer was trying to buy Hibs, and yeah. obviously it went down like a lead balloon in one half of Edinburgh and probably in the Brunoon half. They're thinking not a good move, but there was that game at, at Easter Road where people were coming on the pitch. It just it was at the height of it all. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually think it was a good idea. The concept was right. Because it's a bit like Dundee. You've got two clubs like across the street from each other. You've got two clubs in Edinburgh. Why not have one stadium uh, and then you know use that? A bit like Milan. Mm-hmm. They utilise Milan. But it's the way the, the media portrayed it and the way Wallace used it as a sort of PR tool. It didn't, it didn't work out. You just you end up pissing a lot of people off, basically. <laughs> 
Just a few, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few, yeah. A couple, a, couple of, a couple of thousand here or there. Yeah, I think that would have been the equivalent. Could you imagine if Fergus McCann had tried to do that when he was the Celtic one, or Dave Murray tried to do that to Celtic? Yeah, I think I think Scottish football is unique in that respect. You've got these supporters are they're very very partisan, and it, it, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work, and I think Wallace found that to his cost. Yeah, what was your favourite Edinburgh derby? Uh, there was a number of them. Uh, I managed to score, I think, four or five goals in Edinburgh derbies as well. Um, I can't recall one offhand, but um, I think derby matches, you just love playing in because they're unique. You know, it's not always form wins the match. It's about, you know, enjoying the moment and getting the best out of the players and the supporters love them as well. Yeah, and you said great characters in those days who knew the club. Gary McKay, probably the biggest heart supporter out there. Um, you know, and then you had guys like John Cahoon and uh, John Robertson, obviously Craig Levine. Um, you certainly had um, a lot of character for these derbies, and as you say, you didn't lose many. No, we went on a fantastic run of not losing. Like four games with them, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, um, and I'll, to be fair, a lot of those games we had about a lot. We carried a lot of luck as well. As you do at any football match, when you have to win. Yeah. But, you know, there was that sort of belief. Once you get into that sort of stage, you've got the belief you're going to win no matter how badly you play or good you play, then you've always got an advantage. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and your last se- uh, season of, the fu- of your first spell um, was as close as you got to win the league in your time. Uh, Hearts were top for a good bit um, getting into January, remember? And then, yeah. sorry to bring this up, Aberdeen beat you 4-0 at Tynecastle. Ian Jess was absolutely outstanding in that game. And I think the wheel started to come off and Rangers beat you a couple of weeks later. Good goal battle, McCoy. Is that, is that one that you think that um, when you look back, we could, we could have done better? Or do you just acknowledge that Rangers were obviously in the start of something really powerful at that point? Um, no, I reflect back on it and thinking that in the transfer window, just after December, we had to be in a position that we recruited a couple of players. We were a bit short, uh, strength and depth. And if we had one or two more players, three players to add to the squad, I think, you know, that made all the difference. So we, we didn't add to the squad. There was a lot of games up to January where players were getting injured, players were getting injured. We couldn't replace them with the similar quality of players. So that takes its toll. And that definitely impacted us um, throughout the rest of the season. So it's uh, nearly, but not quite. And it, there's times in a season that you have to make the right decisions. And then I don't think the board um, supported Joe Jordan and what they should have done. No, um, probably not. But maybe a bigger disappointment was losing the Scottish Cup semi-final to Airdrie. Um, that season. I mean, that's no disrespect to Airdrie. Airdrie had a good team, a cracking cup record, but um, yeah. again, it was one that possibly got away. Yeah, um, I can't remember if that's the season. Did, did that go to a replay? It went to a replay, yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, I scored um, and the goal got disallowed. And it was never disallowed. I had a great header at the back post and it got disallowed. And again, that's the sort of margins between success and failure. If that had went for us, then we did it in the cup final. So, but you can't, you can't. I mean, 
throughout your career, things you get, you get your breaks and other times you don't. Exactly, that's just part and parcel of football. But um, so um, part of the um, club career for a, a moment and um, look back at your international career. So 27 caps you got. The first of those World Cup qualifier against Cyprus. That's the one where Johnson scored a cracking overhead kick. Let's um, talk about that thrill of um, you know donning the dark blue for the first time. Yeah, well, I, I played um, under 19s for Scotland. Uh, we went to the World Cup Mexico uh, 19. 82, 83, That's what Oxford took you to, yeah, with Steve Clark scoring yeah. in the second. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've been part of the Scotland set up for a while, but breaking out the first team, um, or the main team, the A team, proved more difficult. I had a few B caps um, for Scotland. Then I managed to get the breakthrough against Cyprus. Um, and again, you know, you're playing for a successful team, doing well. Uh, it's just you're, you're competing against Alan McLeish and Wally Miller at that point who are very successful at Aberdeen so I managed to get the breakthrough I think Alec cut his foot in the bath at Hamden believe it or not um, and he had to pull out and I managed to get place so again that's the luck that's the break to get um, and then from there I just took that opportunity to, to, to make my mark and um, managed to continue yeah and it, it, you did enough, obviously, to get into the, the Scotland squad for Italian 90. Started all three games. Um, no, that's a proud moment as well, um, being able to represent your country at a World Cup, even if it didn't quite go according to plan. But from your point of view, at least you got an assist out there setting up Stuart McCall's um, solitary Scotland goal. I did. Uh, I mean, it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, you just can't, you can't explain how good it was. We, we, we actually went to... Rapallo in the January as I sort of like get to know the place before we went out there before the World Cup started so there's a build up like five or six months before actually getting to the, the camp but once you got there it was just like I just wanted to enjoy every moment of it you know the training um, the environment the weather um, the food and the tilly was brilliant and then once the game started, just enjoy it. Unfortunately, we got off to a bad start with Costa Rica. But then we turned it around again in Sweden. We beat them 2-1. And I managed, as you said, get an assist. Uh, and then we played Brazil uh, up in Turin. Uh, and very unlucky not to get something out of that game. Yeah, the fine margins of that Brazil game. So that we're whole, there was two, there's two moments that define that game. Because obviously it was 0-0 in the last 10 minutes. Um, Jim Leighton... Um, spells a shot from Alamao and then the breaks fall Brazil's way and they scored the winning goal. But also Tafferell makes an unbelievable save from Mo Johnston yeah. with a minute yeah. to go. If that goes in Scotland, they're one of the best third place sides and go through. Um, this, that, that must have been a right gut wrencher that night in Turin. It was, but I think on reflection, I think us as a Scottish team and the supporters to look back and say, well, you weren't that far away, you know. You're playing against one of the best teams in the world, uh, and, and Sweden, we beat Sweden. The Costa Rica is always a bit of a dark horse when you play against teams like that because they're a good side, you know. There's no bad teams that qualify now, and back then, there's no bad teams that qualify. There's probably more teams that qualify now, but back then, there was no bad teams that qualified. They had good players, you know. They, they were, we as a nation probably underestimate teams like Costa Rica. But they're a good side, they're good players, and we would have had good players playing across uh, the world at good levels. 
So, you know, we as a team would, would not have under, underestimated them. Did it just come down to not taking chances? Because we had a few in the first half. Well, a, a, a little bit of that, and I, I think a little bit tant- tactically, we went to the sort of long ball towards Alan McAnally, rather than play you know, your, your, your strikers who get the ball into the box, build up play. Um, it was more of a sort of long ball game, uh, and your keeper just came and caught everything. You know, he never dropped a thing, he never spilled a, a drop, and you know, and then when you get to the when you lose a goal, things change uh, mentally and uh, tactically. They're still doing the same thing, and you know, it gave them a little bit of an advantage. But we did miss chances as well. Um, not, not I would never blame any players as a team game, but. Uh, you know, a bit, a bit unlucky, I would say overall. Yeah, exactly. They find margins, but when when you came back um, from from Italy, um, how much of the apathy did you did you feel? Um, because obviously the press were out, um, you know, with the, the daggers as they usually are, and I think that apathy was probably reflected partly in the attendance for that first game against Romania because only 12,000 for that game. I know there was other factors like the ticket price and, and uh, the fact the game was live in BBC, but I think a lot of it was then the fact that it wasn't a great tournament from what people um, saw. Yeah, I mean, you get that. You get that in football. Fans can be slightly um, upset because, you know, they've paid a lot of money to go over and watch it and major tournaments and you feel like you've let them down and you know for that short space of time they get a little bit say pissed off and they don't turn up but that's football you know that, that's sport you know you get that you take your ups and your downs yeah Scotland certainly know how to do that <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah we've had years of it and we'll never learn um, but yeah, that Romania game was the only one that you didn't play in the Euro um, 92 qualifiers. You started every one of the other seven um, and history being made. You know, beforehand, Scotland had never come close to qualifying for Euros. But how delighted were you when um, we obviously made it this? Being part of that, being part of history, being the first Scotland side to qualify for a Euros because a lot of your predecessors with arguably some better players in there weren't able to yeah. do it. Yeah, it was a major achievement, you know, and you look back, as I said, we qualified and there was only two groups of four in that tournament. Um, and we were in a, a group, Holland, West Germany and the CIS, which obviously is Russia. It was just Germany so, by this time. Yeah, Germany, yeah. So, you know, to, to qualify in, against those nations um, was a fantastic achievement, you know, so... When you look back, you reflect back in the World Cup and think, well, you know, we didn't do that badly, although we're expect we're always expecting to do, to do better. And then the next tournament, you're qualifying, um, you know, against teams or with teams that are, you know, top teams in the world, world champions. Yeah. So it was fantastic. Because even some of the teams um, we managed to qualify ahead of, uh, Switzerland reached the last 16 of the next World Cup, Romania reached the last eight of the next World Cup. Bulgaria reached the last four. You know, that yeah. wasn't exactly um, you know, an easy group that we were in and you know, we managed we did well to qualify. I think I think a lot of people don't appreciate the the hard task it took us to qualify for those finals because it's only eight teams. That uh, they, they don't, you know, and I, I, and I, I try and 
you know, talk about, you know, how good a team that Scotland team was. Um, but people, you know, you try to compare that team with this team, but, but it's not that. You have to look at it on its own merit that, you know, we've played against, as you said, a lot of good players and a lot of good international teams managed to qualify. And then you're playing against, like, two, there's two groups of eight, basically, uh, which it was. And, you know, I think at the end of it, we finished fifth best team in Europe. <laughs> you know, it was a remarkable achievement. If you say that now, if you say Scotland are the fifth best team in Europe now, that would be incredible. But I think we'd be accepting that. Yeah, well, given the fact there's 55 teams in Europe, and um, well, uh-huh. that was a 24 team Euros, and um, it was a strong field that when you look at it, we're probably done well to even get there in the first place. But there's there's hopes that we can go and um, do better in future competitions, not as well as you guys did, but you never know. Look at Greece. Well, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> I, I always want Scotland to do well, and I feel like um, maybe it's the, down to the the domestic setup, you know, but we've not changed this our setup. We're still playing each other four times a year, which I completely don't like. Um, you know, and the, the sort of European setup, you know, we're going backwards a little bit there. So we, we had a great opportunity there during COVID to actually change the setup, and we feel miserable. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely feel miserable. So that's my opinion on. Oh, uh, I mean. I'm in complete agreement over the league setup for last year. That was an utter disgrace. Um, a lot of teams, including my own, um, coming out and saying it wasn't the right time for league reconstruction. It was absolute nonsense. Um, and it all came down to, for, in my opinion, it came down to the fact that there was a new deal with Sky Sports and teams basically didn't want to share that with others. I mean, what happened in terms of Kelly Hearts and Brora not getting um, the opportunity to come up or even play off was a disgrace. It's, the way Hearts and Party were um, relegated was not fair. Um, well, no team should have been mean, put, no team should have been penalised in terms of going down, and no team should have been penalised in terms of not being allowed to come up. They should have found a, a way, and they did. Yeah, exactly. And it was a great opportunity to, to, to restructure the setup. The teams looked after themselves. There was a sort of um, you know personal interest. I'm just going to look after we we bit here. And it's been to the detriment in the game, and that will be long lasting, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, but we'll we'll, um, we'll park that where it belongs in the bin. Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So going back to the, the finals itself at Euro '92, because um, as I've mentioned to you before, I'm actually writing a book um, that's going to come out next year, commemorating the 30th anniversary. Because in my um, the reason I'm doing it is because I think it's a, an underappreciated um, event. Because when you speak to Scotland fans about their favourite tournaments, let them say like France '98, Italia '90, Euro '96. You're not uh-huh. barely gets a mention, but when you think about it, that was arguably one of our better performing tournaments, given who we were up against and how we played <laughs> in those games. We played football against Germany, for example, like seventeen uh, shots to fifteen. I, I can't, I'm like Craig Brown uh, mentioned that start all the time, but I had two chances at the bank post as well. Um, two corns coming, and I was like, you know, that was my left foot. Uh, and it was like it was again that like the Holland margin, game um, between success and failure, you know. So yeah, yeah we played extremely well against Holland, um, Germany, um, and then beating CIS three nothing. Holland, we, we were, you know, one nothing we lost, which was 
and Bergkamp scores. You know, you think of the Holland team, then, you know, it was like incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible side. Well, you just look at the three guys that set the goal. They all came from Milan, a, a European uh, Cup one and AC Milan team, and set up for an emerging Dennis Bergkamp who went on to great things, of course. But um, I'm not going to lie, that chance that you had when you dragged away, because it wasn't, it was your left foot as well. I thought, oh, if only I'd fallen to someone else like McCoy, I'm not going to lie. But that's just <laughs> me being naive youngster. But I mean, you had a great tournament, but your left uh, foot in that position was not what we wanted. <laughs> no, I know, but that, that's what happens. I mean, I, I've scored many a, a left foot goal. Um, yeah, you look back in it, you know, probably a little bit more composure. Um, or a, a forward who would have been in that position maybe had more composure but at, at least I was in that position exactly <laughs> exactly and you know we where were the forwards where were I, the forwards yeah I'll that's true <laughs> well see the thing is a lot of people are thinking I've won that chance to fall in McCoy's I remember the setters McCoy's missing that game against Switzerland before he scored that 20 yard <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> uh, Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's just great memories, you know. It's fantastic memories to actually have been there and played there. Yeah. The, the one thing I loved about them, this, the squad numbering system, it was um, awesome. Uh, was you, know, uh, you, you, number eight, Paul McStay, number three. Uh, how did it feel to be wearing McStay's number effectively? <laughs> I know, I know. It was just, it was weird. You um, didn't argue, did you? <laughs> No, no, there was, well, you have something made to do that. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't say, no, I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want that number. You were sort of given it, and that was it. And there was, there was a reason given for it, which you never really agreed with. Number by but, caps. Aye, so that, that was what happened. So, mm-hmm. aye, he can have a good laugh with it now. To be fair, you know, saying, aye, I was, yeah. I was a number eight. <laughs> aye, number eight. Aye, aye. And then I played number ten to... before my career as well, which is bizarre. <laughs> No, I mean, in good times. In terms of, uh, you know, some of the, the build-up, I mean, I watched the um, Andy Roxburgh um, video diary thing that was on YouTube last year, um, and some of the stuff that you were doing off the field, like Pat Evans doing um, clay pigeon shooting, Alan McCoy and Andy Gorm were playing, um, what else were doing fishing, Paul McStay and Gary McCallison playing golf. What sort of things were you involved in? Um, well, I did play golf at that point, you know, and coming from Pollock, it doing more shotguns rather than clay pigeon shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there was just sort of relaxing, you know, chilling, you know, not not really doing anything at all. You just sort of focus on keeping yourself fit and healthy diet, and then concentrate on games. Yeah, definitely. And then obviously a good team spirit, and well, it needed to be because you were with each other for four weeks before you even played your six um, yesterday games in six days in uh, in Sweden. But it seemed like a good happy camp. Yeah, every player got on well with each other. There was never a fallout with anybody. Um, yeah, and credit to Andy and, and Craig Brown, they organised, as you said, different events. Uh, you never, you know, and playing football at that level. With your club as well, you're used to focusing on being in hotels and travelling, and just keep yourself mentally focused for the next match. And in terms of that, um, that last game against, in fact, before the last game against CI, sorry, um, you took a, um, a random stop at a campsite to go talk to Scotland fans. Just talk about your memories of that day, because that was something that's that was unprecedented then, and not something you'd imagine 
national coaches doing now? Yeah, I, I think it was an appreciation for the fans that travelled over. I had a lot of friends that travelled over. Um, I managed to get tickets for, and um, not too sure they actually went for the football, but they, they went for a good time. Um, but that, yeah, I think you have to show an appreciation for people who, you know, save up and follow the country and want to see them do well. Um, you know, uh, it, was, it was good. It was good. Quite cathartic in speaking to different people who have travelled, sons and daughters, wives and girlfriends and husbands, whatever. Um, you know, they, they go over and have a good time. They, they're friendly, they want to be people. It's one, one giant party. Um, in some occasions you think, well, maybe a bit to be on that side of the fence and have a good time, but rather than the, the, the plain side, you, you, you realise what's... The you know the importance of playing for your country and the expectation the fans throw upon you. Yeah, and um, the, the chant was all we were saying is give us a goal because we've obviously played two games, lost two games, and scored no goals. Um, so yeah. in the CIS game, the lot that you didn't get like, with some of the chances that we had, etc. You certainly got in that last game. You can claim an assist for the first goal. Yeah, is it a Paul McStay goal or is it a Dimitri Carrion own goal? I think that would have been a um, debatable I'm now, but get, it was given. <laughs> give it to Paul McStay. Definitely yeah, give it to Paul McStay. Yeah, you got it then. Yeah. They, they, they had a great team as well. I mean, you think of some of the players that played for them, you know, Mikhail Achenko, Kuznetsov, who I played with subsequently at Rangers. Um, you know, what a side they had. It's, you know, they were, they were football, they, they played but it was fantastic. But we got the breaks and we, we actually scored the goals, which made all the difference. Mm-hmm. It just shows you it's not about how good football you play it's about putting the ball in the back of the net it counts absolutely but at least at least we did it in that last game we gave a good send off how important was that to you guys for professional practice end and touch uh, a high unbelievable you know you know you're playing you, Holland you're always up against it Germany always up against it CIS you thought I actually thought they were one of the better sides so to finish off with a 3 nothing victory was, was great you know I thought it was a great send off to the fans Playing alongside and having a captain that should go off alongside you, um, no, no. How much assurance did that extra assurance did that give you, knowing you had him alongside you? Because he was fantastic. That's what I actually think he should have been in the team of the tournament. That that turn, he was that good. Yeah, Goffey's a great player, fantastic player, and a great leader. Um, played with Richard for a number of years, or a number of games. Up to then as well, and so I knew him really well. We're good friends, and we always got on well together. But um, you know, you're playing alongside good players like that, it, it makes it easier for you. Definitely. Um, so, when you look back at Euro '92, just describe what that tournament means to you. I think it's one of the highlights. I mean, the World Cup. I think because that's the pinnacle. Uh, world football is always going to be up there, but. The Euros 92, as you said earlier, it tends to be forgotten. But for me, it's it should be highlighted because it's two groups of four and a group, it was almost like a group of death we were in, Holland, Germany, the CIS. And we managed to definitely hold our own against Holland, you know, lost a goal, Bergkamp scored and against Germany. Unbelievable side. And, you know, we had chances against them that we should have maybe get something out of the game and then winning the last game. So I think Euro 92 tends to get put in the shadows a little bit because it's not the World Cup. 
Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that 100%. And uh, it was probably a time that Euros was only just starting to make it smart. Maybe Euro 88 was when it probably started um, in my researching of it. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think it's something that should be appreciated a bit more because... And also, we talk about that Germany game. You know, it's not as if we were putting like 10 men behind the ball looking to the counter-attack. No. We were playing football and taking the game to them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that, that was the good thing about the, the actual tournament. We tried to play attack, uh, attacking creative football and we created chances because of that. We didn't sit 10 men, 10 men behind the ball. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it um, didn't matter who you were up against. You weren't afraid and um, almost got um, the rewards, but um, it was home before the postcards. But I don't think that was a tournament that people look back and say that was a complete failure. Um, I think people no. appreciated what you were up against. The world's and European champions and Euro runners-up in one group. Oh, can, can you imagine if Scotland qualified now and were in a group against Holland, Germany and Russia? <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> I'd <bet> eye-watering. <laughs> yeah, it certainly was. I think the closest since then was that um, Euro 2008 campaign we had Italy in France, the World Cup finalists in our group. I mean, yeah. nearly, very nearly got out of that. If it wasn't for Georgia away, we would have qualified, but... <laughs> I yeah. just adds to a long list of um, what could have been that follows our national What could have been? Yeah. yeah. So you had four more games for Scotland. Um, a bit of a sour ending. Your last game was against Portugal in the Portugal, final. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the team got a bit of a battering, not just on the pitch, but obviously off it. Um, did, did Andy and Craig um, declare that they weren't going to pick you again? Or what happens that ended up you not playing for Scotland again? Um, I just, I- just never get selected. Um, I can't really remember what happened back then. Uh, just a, there was a horrible night um, against Portugal. They had a very good side. Uh, don't get me wrong, a lot of top quality players. But we had a number of injuries before the match and players that pulled out. So we're definitely under strength. And everything was against us before the start of the match. And that's no excuse, but, but it was. And... Um, yeah, I think when you're part of a team that loses 5 nothing against uh, any international side, then yeah, your days are numbered. Uh, you know, you're, you're sort of held accountable for that result. And yeah, I never, I never get picked again, which I, I, th- I felt was a, bit, a little bit harsh because my form and a number of games for my, my clubs were definitely warranted maybe a few more caps. Yeah, because at that point, you're obviously back at Rangers and part of uh, the Rangers side that were so close to the Champions League final, won the treble, you know, it was, um, and then the next season won two more trophies. So it wasn't as if you weren't playing at a good level anymore. And you you were still, were you still the right side of 30 at that point as well? Yeah, well, that's the point I'm trying to make that, you know, I was playing uh, with Rangers, winning everything. Uh, the Champions League, the I think the inaugural year of Champions League, won the Battle of Britain, then went, you know, the rest of the game's unbeaten in the group stages, and we should have actually probably went on to win, or nearly win the Champions League. So um, when you're playing at that sort of level, mm-hmm. you are more than capable of being selected for a cap. But not just me, but I'm thinking of players like John Brown, um, yeah. that played for Rangers as well, you know, should have been capped for Scotland at that point. Yeah, probably make, yeah, make a good point there. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask this question just now, just because I'm guessing that the answers to this is going to come from this Ken era. So 
um, from Ross Bryce, he's a Rangers supporter. Um, mm. Best player that you've played with and against in your career? Um, there's another, it's, it's always difficult to pick your best player because, um, you know, you're a defender, you think about players you played alongside. But I'll, I'll, I'll always go for skillful players. Players, I think, who can add something different or create something. So it would be a David Cooper for one right. in my early career at Rangers, um, you know, or through my first spell at Rangers, and Brian Loudrop from a second spell. You know, there's not any players that I've played with that can come close to those type of players, you know, for the ability, the skill, the creativity. Um, and and people as well were just fantastic. Yeah, and in terms of um, toughest opponent you've come across, well, again, that, that's always a difficult one. Um, some of the, the difficult opponents are probably the worst players I played against because they're just awkward. Um, but Klinsman, um, Ruminiga, um, Alto Bailey. Um, uh, Van Basten, Bearcamp, Hulet. You know, there's there's a number there that um, you tend to forget how many good players you played against, but always managed to do okay against them. So that's always a bonus. <laughs> yeah, and get, and going back to to going, obviously going back to Rangers. So um, Walter Smith uh, by now um, in charge, um, having been assistant for one year when you were um, last at Rangers. So. Um, what, how did his um, leadership um, compare to other managers he's had before? Um, I would say that Walter was probably my best manager because he was like down to earth. He was a really good man manager. I mean, you wouldn't mess him about, but he was, you know, he, he picked the players that he knew that were the best players to play. And there was nothing overly tactical about it. It was about... I'm signing you. You're you're one of the best players I think you can play for Rangers. This is how I want you to play. Just go out and do the job. And if you didn't play, if you didn't work hard, then he would tell you about it. Um, but he was it, it was it was very very straightforward. There was nothing overly technical about it. But he was he was brilliant. Well, it was brilliant. And that season, the Champions League, um, obviously. Yeah. You were so close to reaching the final and um, putting out Leeds United um, along the way, the English champions, they were dismissive of you um, beforehand. And well, Ellen Road, you gave him a, um, a bit of a football lesson in some, in some ways by going down there and winning 2 1. So, and this was at the time where the 3 4 rule was very much in play. So, I mean, just just talk about some of those um, nights playing the Champions League where it almost had just become the Champions League. It was a proper Champions League when it was just champions in it as well. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. And fourth place teams from Italy. Yeah, everything, everything was just so new. I mean, the, the, the Battle of Britain playing the Leeds United um, at Ibrox was one of the best atmospheres ever. You know, the kick-off, kicked off, you know, and Leeds United got the park they get a corner kick within a minute. Ball comes across and Gary McAllister sticks one in the top corner from 35 yards. You know, so the, the atmosphere goes from the best I've ever experienced down to the worst I've ever experienced in the matter of two minutes of kickoff. But that sort of probably was the best thing that happened. Um, and we started to play 
you know, the fans were right behind us. Um, there's a corner on the right-hand side. Ball gets into the box. I go up. I can't remember who the goalkeeper was. Look at yeah. He comes out. He punches me in the head. I get a flick on to Stuart McCall. I think it was Stuart McCall. Uh, and there's a goal. So, and a wee assist for me. And just about a knockout for me as well. Was it not a known goal by Lukic that one? Did it not just uh, Lukic and going? It could have been, but I'm sure there was somebody claiming it. Um, then Ali gets, like gets the winner. Aye, Ali gets the winner. And um, at Leeds, you know, it was a fantastic performance there. I think Cantona scored their goal and Coyste and Mark Haley scored ours. You know, it was, a, it was an unbelievable um, performance, both home and away, mm-hmm. by Rangers. They were completely written off. Um, and that's it, is up for... You know, a lot of a lot of success and belief. Yeah, and uh, the, I think um, I mean the, the comeback against Marseille, you know, was pretty impressive when Gary um, at two 0 down. You no know, previous Rangers teams might have cut the crumble, but Gary McSwiggin scores an unbelievable header, um, having yeah. just come on, and then Mark Kately rescues a point from that game. You know, from that game, did you think we could possibly do something in this group? Well, it's a squad we had that we believed that we could go and win every game. You know, there was even if we went three nothing down, we had the belief that we we score goals and we create chances. Um, so it, yeah, throughout that season, you know, there was a, a total belief in everybody's ability, which was pretty unique. I was speaking to um, David Robertson last year um, about you know about his career and. Um, he was talking about some of the um, about the spirit that you guys had and some of the things that he his initiation ceremony um, he had to sing the Northern Lights of Aberdeen prodded on by Mo <laughs> Hunt and they got a bit of a ribbon did you ever have to get that sort of intro when you came back? Uh, not when I came back I'd been through all that when I was younger so I think it was probably a little bit more experienced but no I didn't have to go through that thankfully <laughs> what, in terms of, uh, what about in terms of some of the um, you know, any of the dressing room pranks or anything? Um, did you, were you in the back end of some of them or dish some of it out? No, I, w- I was pretty straight-laced. I kept myself to myself. I was always, um, I left it, those sort of pranks to McCoy's and Durant. They were the, they were the pranksters back in the day. And uh, we had a great dressing room. You know, it was all about Bomber as well. You know, we had a great dressing room that, Everybody got on really, really well. There was never a fallout. If there was a fallout, then would, I'd be face to face. There was no top mind people's backs. Then you sorted it out, and that, that, that was it. And that, that was it was great team bonding. You know that that was the best team I ever played with. Was ninety two, ninety three. Yeah. I think um, Richard Goff used the quote. Um, you know, you know, you drank together, but you didn't mean it too literally that you drank every day. But you did pretty much everything together. Like you went for meals together, went for a drink together, did whatever. Um, and you were just all yeah. one big group. Yeah, well, when you're successful, you're playing all the time. You know, that's a, you know, I said playing each other four times a season. I think my first season back, ninety-two, ninety-three. I'm sure we played Aberdeen six or seven times. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, it, 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 it becomes a non-event. The game it always becomes a a game that you know there's not a great deal of football played, but there's like a vendettas going about. Because you know you did well against me four games ago, and you know I don't agree with that at all. You know you play each other twice a season, and then if you 
cup ties, that's different boat, different kettle of fish, but playing each other four times a, a season in the league is just I've never enjoyed it. it. It's not not right. Not right. I totally I totally agree. And uh I've but unfortunately the reality is while Celtic and Rangers are still here, the T V companies are only interested in one fixture. I think somebody needs to tell the T V companies there's more than more to Scottish football. As big as yeah. Celtic Rangers are, and I think that's got to be acknowledged, they are the, um, the biggest selling brands, but there's more than just um, Celtic Rangers that needs to be talked up more, I don't think, or media do that at all. No, they don't. They don't, they don't at all, you know, and that, that, that's a big problem in Scotland. Um, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, we've got two of the biggest clubs in Europe or the world in a very, very small country. <laughs> and, you know, that's always going to take precedent. I know, but in that season that you mentioned, um, you mentioned you played Aberdeen six times that season. Unfortunately, it's one that I recall as an Aberdeen fan <laughs> beating runners up to in every competition. It's like the only game we beat you was a dead rubber at the end of the season um, with Duncan Chiefs yeah. But I think the pivotal game in terms of the league season um, was up at Pataudry. I mean, a lot of people say about Andy Gorham's best games being much whatever winning against Celtic. I think that game up at Pataudry was one of his because... Aberdeen were all over Rangers that night and he was un- unbeatable and then Mark Cately scores late on and it was pretty much championship done as much as game done that night. Yeah, well that's what I'm saying about the, the Rangers team back then. They had the belief that you know, it didn't matter how badly we played or how well teams played against us. We had the belief that we could hold out. We had the players on the pitch that would do the right things at the right times like Andy Saban. And somebody would score a goal uh, and gets the points, like Mark Haley. So um, it takes a while to get to that stage. It, that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, and that's what I'm saying about Walter. Walter always had the knack of bringing the right players in at the right time and building the team or moving players on at the right time as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that, that season you scored against your former club in the semi-final at Parkhead. I mean, you were one down in that game. Now, in modern day... Whenever you see someone score against um, the former club, it's always the whole um, apologetic hand which and the non-celebration. You were running for um, the Rangers fans and the Walter Smith at that point. And see, to be fair, that's what it should be about. When you score a goal, you should be elated. You shouldn't be like apologetic just because it was against your former team. You're not rubbing your noses in it unless you went to the Hearts fans. No, no. Well, I, I, to me, any team I've played for, I give my best, you know, one hundred percent. And if I score, and it happens to be a top game or, or an important game, no matter what game it is, I'm going to enjoy that moment, you know. And that was, um, you know, it's a massive game for Rangers, um, you know. And to score at that point, but it was fantastic, you know, for me personally, because it's not Rangers fans when we look back. Oh, you've come from Hearts, you know. You may not try as hard. Fans do think like if you don't win. Fans will think like that, and it's anything but that. Players don't do that, you know. Especially the more the higher level you play, players give their all to the club they're playing for. So it was always more like, like a, you know, I'm here to do well for Rangers and win for Rangers. Yeah, at the end of the day, um, you were employed by Rangers. You're a Rangers fan, of course. You're going to enjoy that moment. And uh, yeah. you hadn't won the Scottish Cup before that season. That obviously completed the treble against the Aberdeen at Celtic Park in the Celtic Park dressing room. You must have absolutely loved that. I know David Robertson talks about that being his career highlight. Was it up there for you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, um, I'd lost a couple of Scottish Cups before, uh, finals before. 
um, which were pretty sore. Our first one was against Aberdeen. Eric Black scored the winner mm-hmm. way back. So, um, yeah, that, that was that was the treble. You know, um, it was fantastic. And an amazing achievement, you know. It's just something I'll never forget. Yeah, and Les McGill does ask on, um, he's a Rangers fan as well. Um, best moment in the Rangers shirt? Um, I'm asking now because I'm guessing it's going to be around about this kind of era. Uh, I would say that match against Aberdeen in the Scottish Cup final, one of the treble, has got to be the best moment. I mean, playing my first game for Rangers is a memorable experience, but then you play subsequent games, but it's winning things that count for Rangers fans and for Rangers players. So winning the treble definitely was, you know, the, the pinnacle by far. And then, um, and also in that season, as I say, not far from reaching the Champions League final. Unfortunately for you guys, it was a 0-0 draw against CSK Moscow in the last game. Um, who'd been battered by Marseille a few weeks earlier, 6-0. I know some people say something smelled about that because of what happened with Marseille yeah. later. But how, um, yeah, just to sum up the, um, I know it's asking the obvious here, but just um, your emotions that night, knowing that the dream had died of it was very disappointing because obviously they're playing at home but they were a very good side you know and for them to lose 6 nothing against Marseille was you know there's something not right there but technically they played fantastic football you know we could not get the ball off them that night um, although we still had the belief we could you know get get the ball and create chances but it just wasn't to be I think we just ran out a little bit of steam as well mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just one of these things, um, unfortunately. Um, I mean, the next season, um, a bit disappointment going out to Levski Sofia because no doubt you have had aspirations to try and match that again. Yeah, well, that's well, you know, we're talking about luck and football comes in. Um, they scored a goal uh, in Sofia, I think, last minute of the match. And I, I don't know, I can't remember who to call who scored it, but it was like 35 yards right in the top corner. You know, like the screamer being at the top corner, which when I mean, players score goals like that against you, or you score goals, they're difficult to defend. You know, you get they could have the best goalkeeper in the world, but if the ball goes in the top corner, there's not a lot you can do about it. You know, if people pass one twos round about the box, and yeah, defensively you can do more, but a ball going at the top corner from 35 yards, and you've got you've not got a lot a lot of time. Where you've got a minute to recover. That's impossible. So that that was a disappointing aspect of that. But, I mean, it was still um, a good season in terms of um, beating Hibs in the League Cup final. Alan McCoy's comeback game and goal with that um, remarkable overhead kick, yeah. Um, you know, another um, League Cup side to your collection and then winning the league again. Um, although Rangers weren't as good as the season before, you still had enough to see, see out Aberdeen again. Yeah, um, I think... I, you know, the the previous season, ninety two ninety three, there's a lot of football played. It, it takes its toll, you know, you're four, playing four game season. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, the Champions League friendlies, cup ties, it's it's a massive amount of football. And people talk about oh you get you get paid money. Well, certainly not as much as the players get paid now, nowhere near it. But you know, it doesn't matter how much money you get paid, it takes a toll on your body. You can't repair your legs overnight. Um, and I'd, me personally, I'd played a lot of football from being at Hearts and probably hadn't missed 
probably two or three games over three years. Then the, the qualifiers for the World Cup, European Championships, then join the Rangers Champions League. That's a lot of football, a lot, a lot of football that people don't understand. It takes its toll. Yeah, that's why um, teams need big squads these days, as we um, talk yeah, about. Yeah, so. exactly. And you wouldn't have had um, lots of a 25-man squads back in 92, 93, as good as the team yeah. as well. Although you still had a better Not squad than most, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it should have been, it possibly should have been a double treble um, that season. It could have been history, but um, there was an unfortunate game against Dundee United. Um, knowing you're, the mix-ups in yourself and Ali, you know, is that a game that still hurts you now, even, what, 27 years later? Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's a game that, you know, we should have won. Um, we didn't play that well during it, but previously we hadn't played well in games and managed to win them, see them off. But I think when you're a goal down, you start to chase the game a little bit. And um, not that we played badly, but I think United defended really well on the day and uh, they, they managed to win. So it was, it was disappointing because it would have been the first back-to-back trebles. Um, so yeah, that was that was a disappointing aspect. Yeah. And then uh, next season, um, you became surplus to the requirements of Rangers to spend more money, and um, you ended up being traded back to Hearts as part of the deal that saw Alan McLaren um, come over. Was that a no? Was that a no-brainer given the fact that simply you weren't going um, getting games and you were getting the chance to go back to a club that you you knew that you loved? Well, I, I was actually playing. I was playing every match. You know, it wasn't oh, yeah. oh, playing. Yeah. I want, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't anything to do with that. I think um, Hearts, well, Rangers were offered Alan McLaren, and part of the deal was Tommy McLean said, "Well, we want you know money, and um, we'll take a player back because that would obviously suit them as a centre back, centre back situation." Um, and back then it was pre Bosman, so you know a lot of the control regarding moves is out with the player's control, so. I thought I could just stay Rangers and chain up my contract or else I can go back to Hearts, the club I know, and they're ambitious, they want to do well. Um, I thought, you know, maybe it's the right time to go back to Hearts and see out my career there. Yeah, and it, it became a um, eventually a more successful time um, after a difficult, uh, a bit of a difficult start because Hearts were involved in a relegation battle with Aberdeen Dundee United. Um, yeah. You were the ones that avoided the playoff. Um, we had the fortune of that. Um, but Scottish Cup as well, I mean, as I mentioned before, a terrific win over Rangers, who were in the fe- previous final, then beating United, the holders, and then you lose to Erdogan in the semi-final again. I mean, they they had your number on certain occasions, didn't they? Yeah, again, we're a bit unlucky. Um, yeah, just they had this sort of Indian sign over us. We just never seemed to get past them. Um, but that, that's football, you know, you, you have your, your teams you play against that you know you're going to do well against, and there's the frustrating teams that seem to make it more difficult for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, this, uh, this certainly does get your numbers that year, and you end up bringing Alan Lawrence yeah. um, off them just to try and get someone uh, off them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Jim Jeffries comes in next season. This is where it starts um, ticking, perhaps. Um, there was a lot of young players coming. Alan jo- you played with Alan Johnson for a season before yep. he left as one of the first Bosman players to leave this country. Um, and then the likes of, like, of Gary Locke, Neil McCann, Colin Cameron a bit later, um, Paul Ritchie, um, yep. you know, coming through um, as a defender. Um, as a senior player, you know, 
this how much responsibility did you take to try and nurture these guys through? Uh, quite a lot. You know, there was a lot of young players there and they were inexperienced, very talented players. Um, but yeah, you just try. I mean, I, I, I reflect back in my young days at Rangers where I had a lot of top, you know, for me, heroes of mine helped me through um, my young career. So you try and pass that over to the players coming through at Hearts and hopefully I managed to do that um, in the right manner. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously signs of progress because having gone so long without even being a, um, a cup, it's been 10 years since they reached the Scottish Cup final. I think it was, what, the 70s, um, 60s since they last won a trophy. And you got yeah. to the Scottish Cup final that year, beating us in the semi-final. But um, the final against Rangers was a bit of a um, a bit of a learning curve. I mean, it didn't help that Gary Lott gets injured after seven minutes. And yeah. <laughs> you know, and then Brian Loudrop was just unplayable that day. You know, he scored two and set up three. He could have had all five. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think was it the first? I can't remember what goal it was. Been through big shields, his one. legs. Mm-hmm. Second one, yeah. And I felt for Shields because Shields is a, a lovely guy. I still keep in touch with him. He phones me once a month, and um, with his broken English. Um, <laughs> And it, he's just one of those games that, you know, he made, it, it, I wouldn't say he made a mistake. It just happened to go through his legs. And um, it, was t- it was a tough, that was a tough day for Hearts and Hearts supporters. Yeah. At least you got to a final um, straight away because you were back yeah. in the Coca-Cola Cup final. Neil McCann was outstanding in that. That was a, that's probably, in terms of the Scottish Cup, Motherwell Dundee is the best Scottish Cup final I've seen. But in terms of the League Cup final, that Rangers-Hearts final was probably the best that one. That doesn't get talked would- up enough. No, I, I was injured. Uh, I'm sure Gascoigne was outstanding in that match because I watched it from the Turned start. up for five minutes and did enough to win the game. <laughs> to <be good. laughs> I think that's all I needed to do. Yeah. Well, well, give me five minutes and I'll sort this out for you. <laughs> yeah. But did you get a sense, um, you know, after that final that you weren't far away and that success was going to come? Yeah, I, I thought. I don't think you take success for granted no. it's always hard work um, and you, you mentioned the Airdrie matches you think well we're here to beat Airdrie we should beat them um, look at the players we've got they've got but you can't take it for granted so yeah we felt as if we were moving in the right direction with a chance and then 97-98 you showed a lot of consistency in the league in fact at one point Hearts were very much up there with Celtic and Rangers and there was some talk that you could actually not only split them but finish above them but again it comes down to squad size um, probably because yeah. you ran out of steam towards the end of the season unfortunately yeah again uh, clubs like Hearts you know you, you have to invest money at the right time um, and bring the right players in because you've not got a, enough of a squad or in depth there to to make it through the season uh, unless other teams are getting a lot a lot of injuries then you're definitely going to be up against them yeah. Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown just sum them up as a management team is it a case of it, um, who's the bad cop out of that one uh, I would say probably Jim comes across as the bad one but they, they were, it's, it's not about the bad cop good cop it's about, they, they, work, they actually work well together you know that's where the success lay you know one was good at something one was good at another thing and they worked well together and they, they got the best of the team and the recruitment at that point was very good and bringing young players in, there was a good mixture um, of different players, and that worked well. Yeah, because I mean, he's smart. He was very smart in the transfer market. Like he brought in 
guys that he knew, like Stephen Fulton, who on yeah. his day could play. Um, yeah. Unlucky not to get a Scotland cap. David Weir, um, you know, was a smashing thing. He obviously looked to see, he actually um, got better um, as he got older. David Weir seemed yeah. to be. Um, but as we mentioned before, some of the younger guys coming through obviously um, brought fresh impetus and it was, a, it was a good blend. Absolutely, it was a great blend. Um, you know, Paul Ritchie, Alan McManus, who was another player that came through. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good young players. Uh, you know, and they, they got their chance to play at the right times. Uh, Stefano Salvatore, who's no longer with us, sadly, yeah. was a great player. Um, Pasquale Bruno, Italian player as well, played. You know, there was, there was a good mixture. And never, again, a bit like Rangers back in 92 93. Everybody got on really well. There was that sort of team bonding, a bit of a laugh, but a carry on, but, you know, good characters. Yeah. And then we come on to the Scottish Cup for 1998. I've got this um, tweet from um, a guy called Matthew Lees. I'm assuming he's a Hearts fan. I hope he is with us. Um, it says, Dave, your marking Brian Loudrop in 1998 Scottish Cup final um, was an impressive display of the art of jockeying an opponent. Was cutting off Loudrop's space something Jim Jeffries worked on with you in training, or did you have that still mind of defensive marking? Uh, I'll just say that's natural ability. I played with Brian and played against him a number of times, so I, I knew what he was good at. Yeah. And you could you could know what he was good at. <laughs> So can you just go through that again, Dave? That that moment, that was when the internet connection decided to go unstable. So my apologies. Um, Just talk about what it was like dealing with Brian Lodrop that day. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Well, I played against him and played with him a number of times, so I knew what his qualities were. And, um, you know, I played right wing back that day, so I took one for the team. Well, you did your job, and um, I think he's probably made the mistake of scoring in the first minute. <laughs> that game. Um, but then, um, but you know, because Rangers pounded you um, for, mo- for most of that game, and then obviously yeah. you get the break with the second goal. Um, you know, lovely finish by Stefan Adam. Um, and but it was still tense towards the end. But he's managed to get over that line. It was it took uh, well, a lot of gut. Uh, well, yeah, with a you know team that believed in each other, fought for each other. And you, you need that, you need the luck as well, you know, you're playing against Rangers, like nine in a row champions, yeah, that, that's not going to be easy, they're not going to give any the cup that easily, and yet we, we knew that before we started, but I was delighted, I was, I was so happy, um, you know, for the Hearts fans in particular, because we've been through a lot of rough times and tough times, and they should have won a lot more, and to win something was um, was great. Yeah, it was a, a well-deserved um, cup win overall for for what the club had been through. And um, from your own personal point of view, for all the league cups, Scottish Cup and titles that you won, how highly do you rank that one? Oh, it's well, it's well up there, you know. Um, people say you should never go back to your club that you were at before um, because it's not often that successful. But I proved it wrong, we back to Rangers and winning the treble. And then proved it back, back, back to Hearts and winning the Scottish Cup in '98. So um, you just need to have belief in your ability and um, enjoy it. You know, 
you're one of those few exceptions to that rule of I'm never going back and defying it. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you've done it twice, so um, you all said something about you. Um, I don't know what that is. <laughs> luck, maybe? Oh, well, maybe. Oh, uh-huh. I'm doing you the service there, David. Um, so I've got a question from um, Robbie, who's also known as OzJambo51. He says, he met, he met you as a kid when um, you were playing for Carlton in Australia, um, with who you went to a year after Hearts. Yeah. What are your memories of um, your time in Australia playing the NSL? And that's a team that I believe is no longer in existence. Yeah, it's all franchises out there. So if the owner stops putting the money in, basically the franchise dies and the club goes. But like the MLS, um, I loved it in Australia. And Carlton were, a, you know, based in Melbourne, uh, were a really good side with some really really good players. Archie Thompson, um, who played for Australia, I think his first cap for Australia he scored thirteen goals. Uh, maybe against Fiji or something, something like that. Right, done some so it, yeah, it, it was a lot. It, it was it was a good time, and Australia was still going through that sort of um, learning curve regarding uh, the professional game. So it was good to be part of that, and you know, try and help young players come through. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I, I went to Australia for a month visiting um, friends and family, and I took in a couple of um, games out there. This was back in 2012. Um, I mean, Del Piero was playing for Sydney at that point, yeah. And uh, Steve McGarry was playing for Perth Glory, yes. and the late yeah. Lee Miller was in the bench for Perth Glory that night. They were playing Melbourne Victory, so it was it those games, and it was enjoyable. It was it was it was a good experience to be able to go into a game wearing shorts and t-shirt in November and December, as opposed to yeah. you know. And then I came back to an Aberdeen St Johnson game. I had four layers so to keep myself warm. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that that's one of the reasons I went out there because I played through the summer. So you're getting that a little bit older, you know, the pace of the game is slower. You don't have to run about as much. Um, use your brain a little bit more. Um, you know, in Melbourne, we were playing at a Friday night, it could be 40 degrees at night time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, in, it was enjoyable from that perspective. Yeah, but was it hard work running about in that heat? Or was it, it was nighttime games, though, to be fair as well? Well, some of the games were in the afternoon. I mean, games in Perth were in the afternoon, and they were, they were particularly hot. Um, but I had. I was pretty good at telling younger players around about me what to do. <laughs> I was marshalling. I was marshalling very well at the back. This is part of your, your development, OK? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so you don't need to... <laughs> Absolutely. I don't need to run. I've run all my career. You need to do the running for me. And it benefited him, so I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> Just call it delegation, Dave. That's Absolutely. <laughs> the way to do it. And, you know, there, there's always usually complaints that um, no team teams travel in this country. Um, I'll be honest, some of our fans are, you know, are for, for saying oh, it's a three-hour journey down to Glasgow, etc. But you were playing in a league where it would be a five-hour flight to get to a game like you mentioned, Perth, there, for example. Yeah, well, my, fir- my first uh, official match um, for Carlton um, was Auckland. We flew to Auckland uh, and that, that was an away match. So that was like a three and a half, four hour flight. Um, and then we, we managed to win three nothing. But it was like a three night stay because the time you get there, and, you know, prepare and then you're flying the next morning after the match. So that, that was an experience. You know, it was like every match was like a European away match. Yeah, Sydney was an hour and a half, Adelaide was an hour and a half, Brisbane was two and a half hours, Perth, four hours away. So that was, that was a great experience. I, I loved it. It was a, a culturally 
um, great meeting new people from all over the world, different different nationalities. It was brilliant. I, ha- I have to ask. I mean, you've had you had that time out in Melbourne, um, so no disrespect. Why did you come back to Greenock? <laughs> <laughs> well, all these Martin fans, no disrespect, general, uh, but um, good yeah, club, Martin. Well, the thing was that because it was a franchise, and the owner stopped putting the money in, so I could have stayed in Australia and maybe moved to Sydney to be part of another franchise. But then I had the opportunity to come back to Scotland. So it was like 50-50. So I come back to Scotland. I was training, actually training at Motherwell. Um, Andy Gorham was there. And Billy Davis was manager. And then I get the opportunity to, to join Morton as a sort of player coach. And then I took over as manager. So it was a, like one of those decisions you make last minute. Yeah, it was a bit of a tough time because um, when you were still playing Morton, um, ended up going down. I think you'd just taken over and oversaw the relegation. I was, I was there, yeah, I was there when they were sort of in liquidation and they didn't have any players at all. Yeah, a really tough time. And then when you were manager, you get 13 games the next season and lost your job. I mean, did that just put you off management for life after that? Uh, it did a little bit. Um, I loved the coaching aspect, but... I think it was second or third in the league and there was a bit of fallout with the chairman. Um, just more personalities, I think. Um, and, yeah, that, that was a disappointment because, you know, I, I felt as if I had a lot to offer the game in regards to my experience and where I played and what, what I'd done. But that's another another story. <laughs> Is that a story for speakers night where we have to pay? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll spare you this time. Um, <laughs> you haven't released a book yet, have you? Because maybe that's where you should do it. <laughs> Sorry, I lost you there. Yeah, it seems to lose. I was just, I was just saying, um, is you haven't got a brought a book out yet, have you? Because that's when you should probably reveal it, <laughs> like most of them do. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I might, I might, I might do a book. Um, not, not now, but. Um, God, I've got a million stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Probably towards the latter end of my career, actually, for for some reason. I don't know why that is. Um, but I'll, I'll wait and see. I'll wait and see. I'm busy enough just with work. Happy to concentrate on that. Yeah, I think you've got enough to keep you going just now without um, having to write yeah. anything. <laughs> um, so um, I don't know where I'm going to find the time with my, my job and two kids, but I'll, I'll, I'll uh, wing it. <laughs> but wait and see. Um, so just... Um, no, before going to the quick fire stuff, um, just give us your thought, uh, overall thoughts on your career and how proud you are about the career that you've had. Uh, extremely proud. You know, leaving school at 16 is not an easy decision to make. You know, um, you know, you think about kids now, you know, I, do, I would always, in, in the job I'm doing and promoting um, academic status rather than, you know, sports status. Um, I've had... My time to do it again. I would like to do the, the sort of the opportunity to do a scholarship or get a degree of some sort um, along with sport. I think that's the way forward. But overall, my career, I, you know, I played a lot of football, a lot of first team football, twice at Rangers, twice at Hearts. Very unique. I don't think there's many people have done that. Anybody has done that. Played in Australia, played for my country in the World Cup finals, European Championships, won the treble. I think it's a lot to be proud of, and which I am. Um, 
and I just wish I could do it all over again. Yeah, if only you could do these things twice. Um, but um, you, yeah. you got a good career for um for what you had. Um, definitely. So, yes, I'm going to move on to quick fire questions, or as we nickname them, the slow fire questions. Um, so I'll start with a couple from our um podcast regulars. So first of all, um, Erin Grieve asks, um, can I can I ask you, um, do you keep ketchup in the fridge or in the cupboard? Yeah, great answer. Um, Scott McGill, who produced a great song um, leading up for um, the Euros, he's asking the same question with butter. Um, I don't actually use butter. I'm, a, I'm healthy that way. All <laughs> oh, right, but that's a shame, aren't we? <laughs> um, and same theme, theme from Ross Kelvington chocolate in the fridge or the cupboard. <laughs> Um, they don't fridge. get better from here fridge fridge, yeah. fridge. chocolate's got to go in the fridge especially in our warm climate right, in the last couple of weeks it certainly has been <laughs> it's, it's been like Australia the last couple of weeks in um, yeah. Scotland um, so Derek Wilson asked a question ask him about um, ask him about that bin in Bordeaux doubt you'll mind did you go to Bordeaux for the, the game for Hearts in 2006 I did yeah yeah I wouldn't remember that at all. That yeah. was a bit of a blow that time. Great trip, don't get me wrong, but I don't remember much about it. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> we see if I have a speaker's night or something. Um, he adds um, that um, you're, of course, a 1988 legend. The old firm don't have legends like David. Sorry, but you were an old firm legend in many respects. <laughs> um, a couple from myself now. Um, so... We like our pie chat on the podcast, so what's your favourite pie? Oh, I had steak pie tonight. Nice. Steak pie. <laughs> you can never, never go wrong with steak pie. What about the, the football? I mean, not you would have had much chances to have it at the football, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, hearts do a good steak pie, what you say. A wee around steak pie. Small, really small, but tasty. I like them. Um, what would your death row meal be? Well, hopefully I never have to choose that, but um, no. <laughs> I would go a, a ribeye steak and chips with pepper sauce. <laughs> that seems to be a very popular answer. Um, it would be uh, one of mine, definitely. <laughs> um, so what was the best uh, old firm derby you've played in? That's hard to pick because they're all fantastic. I would say there was a derby we played at Ibrox, it was four each, ended up four each. Oh. Uh, Tommy Burns scored, uh, Cammy Fraser, I believe, got two goals. But it was like a torrential rain, sodden pitch day, and there was like mistakes all over the pitch because the weather was that bad and people were slipping, but it ended up four each. And yeah. I think everybody was glad to go off the pitch and, you know, take a point. Because th- there was a TV strike that season. I think that was one of the first games back, and it couldn't right. have been better timed. I know it was unbelievable. It was I mean, a game that fans would love to watch time and time again. But as a player, you like four each. That's not a great result, you know. Losing four goals, but scoring four goals is good, but not losing four goals. I know it's a bit of a battery, but at least it wasn't like the Wraith Rovers Hamilton game the other day when Wraith were uh, four up and drew four each. You're Hamilton, you're delighted that you've come back from four down. Whereas Wraith, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Murdo McLeod scored that game. I remember um, seeing I did, yeah. was going a good goal. 
obviously I'm going with yeah. five of that time, so I don't have recollections certainly of a Celtic Rangers game. <laughs> no, but you're right, you're right, he did score a good goal. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, we've been doing a lot of um, chat about um, football, about football kits, good and bad. What's the best kit that you've played in, and the, the worst one that you you can recall wearing? That's a difficult one because there's that many kits for worn over the years. The nineties um, has got to be one that's up there for both. <laughs> uh, I, I think back in the nineties or late eighties, it's those tight short shorts. That we were all wearing, you know, it was like they were they were never comfortable for the starter, and they certainly never looked good. <laughs> but you mean you mean like this one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she went banned from TV and pictures. <laughs> yeah, so you, you're avoiding that with that one, then nothing standing yes. out for me. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, so I'll round off with the the question you was coming. Name a best eleven from your um your career, and you've already named your manager Walter Smith, haven't you? Yeah, uh, Walter. It's best career eleven. Is I, I find it difficult because I've played over quite a few generations, and it's always difficult being relative to one generation to the next one. Um. Right back, I would go Sandy Jardin. There'll be a lot of Rangers players in here, I can assure you. Left back, uh, I'm going to go with David Robertson. Centre back, I would go Goff and Butcher. Mm -hmm. Who's your keeper? Um, I'd need to go Andy Gorham. So <laughs> I'm going to get stuck for this. A lot of Rangers players. Midfield, I'll go. I'll, I'll go Colin Cameron in midfield. Um, I'll go who else? Trevor Stephen. Um, he was on his day. Um, Mikhaila Chenko on the left hand side was brilliant, fantastic mm -hmm. player. So we've got. That's four, three. We'll go three up front. We're going to go. Cooper, Loudrop, McCoist. That's a pretty good um, front three team. Yeah, there's not really much protection for that defence, but I think to be fair, <laughs> it's a pretty solid defence. To be, fair. I think I think we win five four. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe six four. <laughs> 6-4, yeah. I'll take that. It's a victory, it's a victory. It'll be, it'll be the sort of things that you look at the end of the season. Goals for 100, goals conceded 99. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, I think to be fair, that would probably beat most teams. But no, listen, Dave, thank you very much for your time and um, all the best um, with, uh, you know, whatever you've got coming up. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you, John. Thank you.